Here's a biggie. How about this for a question? In the average, let's say, day, right? In the average 24 hours, how many times will you beg, plead with your own thoughts to leave you the fuck alone? <laughs> just just leave me alone. Just, just give me th- three minutes of peace, please. Just give me a little bit of space, right? I mean... Ever since I became more mindful of the self-talk that my mind shits on me on a daily basis, I just notice myself having this conversation more often because this week I received a random comment on YouTube underneath my documentary, Waiting With A Killer, and it was another not very favourable one. And it wasn't the best thing for me to read, And then I started thinking, well, if you as the creator and producer of this documentary just suddenly felt bad for receiving this comment, why did you, three months ago, publicly share some harsh opinions you had about another filmmaker who released something? Who's to say that you didn't... Who's to say that you weren't responsible for her seeing that if she did, and then she feeling bad? And I suddenly thought, oh, I might, I might go and take that down actually. And it's, it's just, I just descended into this ridiculous rabbit hole of self-loathing. And I caught myself thinking, dude, you're just overthinking this again. Someone's put something underneath one of your videos. Let's just address that first. And you and I are going to address this in a bit. I'm going to read the comment to you in a bit. I, I do think I am actually probably the worst publicist of myself. So I think over the last two weeks, I've just been banging on about people leaving less than favorable comments under my stuff. I promise people do say wonderful, generous, beautiful things about my stuff as well. But I just feel like if I came on and started reading those, I'd just come across as a giant bell end. And let's be honest, nobody cares. Everybody likes negative. (laughs) Listen, let's be honest, right? The minute I said someone's written something less than favorable under one of my YouTube videos, you suddenly just... You suddenly say, oh, what they said about the dickhead this time, right? You just did. If I'd have said someone put something beautiful, you'd have probably just ignored it. Carried on combing your hair. I don't know. But anyway, listen, we'll get onto that in a bit. How are you? (laughs) I really wish that more of you'd start telling me and answering my questions, by the way, because I always enjoy when some of you reach out to me, but I'd like to hear from more of you as well. So let me know how many times in the average day you just ask your thoughts to give you some space. Just, just give me some, just give me a breather. Let me know, because I find myself having that conversation often, but I don't know if it's just me. So I'm curious. Send me a direct message on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, if you're always having a, always having a rook with your inner thoughts. But today, I would be remiss to not begin. I don't often talk about politics, but it's been an interesting one this week. This Dominic Cummings... Oh, wow. This has been this has been quite a story. For some people, it has, anyway. Um, if you're not aware, basically... One of Boris Johnson's lead tactical advisors, I believe in the good old days they were known as spin doctors, but he's basically his glorified PR guy and strategist. And he has been 
a naughty lad because he travelled 200 miles from London to his parents' house in Durham during lockdown so that they could look after his son, I think it is, because he and his wife came down with the coronavirus and they were worried about their son's safety. So they drove to Durham to apparently leave their son with their parents. And this has caused a huge furore because fundamentally he did this during the tightest stage of the lockdown when we literally couldn't take a piss without asking permission. And that's when he went to Durham. And people don't like that. Justifiably so. If you don't like that, then I have no issue with it. Which brings me on to the bigger question. How do I feel about this whole situation? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, guys. I am not that fussed about him driving to Durham. And the reason I'm not that fussed is very, very simple. I think the way you feel about this situation is going to be dictated by one question. And that one question is whether or not you have high expectations of your government. If you have high expectations of your government in terms of decency, transparency, and in inverted commas, fairness, I'll tell you why I put fairness in inverted commas in a minute. If you have high expectations for those, for your government, according to those three metrics, then you will be annoyed. I have very low expectations of my government in terms of transparency, decency, honesty, and fairness. So, because I already have no expectations, when it turns out that one of the key figures in government is doing whatever he wants to hell with the law, I'm like, well, of course he is. Like, that's, that's well, of course he's doing that. that. That's what they do, right? And that's my belief. Depending on your expectations of the government will di dictate how you feel about Dominic Cummings. Now, I'm going to refer to an interview that I did in February during the release, coincidentally enough, of Waiting With A Killer. And I was asked a question by RGM Magazine online. If you want to read the interview, then just put into Google RGM, that's M for Mike, RGM Magazine, Waiting With A Killer. And you can read the whole interview when I release the documentary. And one of the questions I was asked was about conspiracy theories, because Matthew, who's in that documentary, was an avid fan of conspiracy theories, and he told me many. So RGM Magazine have asked me, Matthew has some interesting 9-11 theories. Where do you stand on them? My response was this. Honest answer? I don't stand anywhere on 9-11. Speculation is rife. Some theories are compelling. Others are salacious. But ultimately, none are necessarily proven. I could sit here all day dissecting the merit of each argument, but what for? No, thank you. On the broader subject of governments and the citizens they govern, now this is the key part, I don't think any government's primary objective is the well-being of its people. I think the well-being of its people is secondary to accumulating and maintaining power in order to serve their own interests. I'm yet to hear a compelling argument disproving my theory that, for the most part, the general public are seen as a bothersome irritation by politicians. Now, I said that back in February, and that was the first time I publicly said it, so I've, I've never, it's not like I try to hide it. It's like no one ever asked me a question that would make that, that would bring up the answer. But someone asked me about government, and I just shared that. I've thought that for 
God knows how many years. I fundamentally don't think that the government... Actually, let's go back a few steps. I don't think that anyone that wants to get into politics... Actually, that's probably a bit harsh. I was going to say I don't think people get into politics to serve the people. But actually, I would argue that some do. But the more time they spend in government and the more time they see the amount of spin and rhetoric and fundamentally what they're there to do is to achieve certain outcomes for the masses and to enable to in order to do that then they just have to spin and they just have to be disingenuous at times and often sorry just to clarify when i say they're trying to achieve certain outcomes for the general public uh, that's just to keep us happy fundamentally they have other agendas in my opinion right and yeah I'm going off on one yes. I'm going to just rein myself back in. All I'm saying here is that my expectations of government are not high. All right. So when this Cummings guy came out and was doing that, no, I just, I was like, yeah, all right, fine. God. So there's a couple of things that people have been saying about the situation that I want to explore. The first one is, People have said there's one rule for them and there's one rule for us. Now, let me tell you why that bothers me. Whenever I hear people say it seems like there's one rule for them and there's one rule for us, I'm like, that's kind of that's kind of how governments work. <laughs> I mean, like, that, what are you saying there that's new? Let me explain, right? If I decided tomorrow that all... 16-year-olds who successfully complete GCSEs and get grades C and above have a lifetime of shortbread free of charge. Like, if I decided that that should be a law tomorrow because hopefully my niece and nephew will reap the rewards of free shortbread, right? If I decided that was to become law, I wouldn't have a fucking leg to stand on because I'm not in the business of creating laws. I'm a mere pleb now if someone in government decided that that should become at least a bill that should be explored and potentially pushed forth to become a law then they have they have more <laughs> they have more leverage to at least get that further along if they decide free short bed for all 16 year olds who achieves grade c and above in gcsgs then that could become a law because as a government, they have that muscle. I, however, do not. So there's always been one rule for them and one rule for us. And that is just the nature of how it works. That's the nature of our dynamic, right? It's just clearly there's a distinction between us as plebs and them as of people in power. Now, obviously, that you might not like that, but it's just the way it is. And so when, so when I hear people saying it's one rule for them and it's one rule for us, it just, I just find it troubling because that's just, that's the mechanics of how it works. I see, I see that argument no less abhorrent than, uh, I don't know. Let, uh, let's imagine, let's imagine, let's imagine dogs could talk, right? Your dog can talk. Now that's not a new evolution that just happened overnight. Let's imagine dogs have always been able to talk ever since there were dogs that could talk, right? Just imagine you've had a Labrador for five years and in year four, no, in year five, <laughs> in year five, the Labrador thinks to himself, do you know what? I'm sick of going outside to take a dump. I'm just going to squat and do it here in the lounge. Sick of it. 
and it just takes a dump in the lounge. Right? You come down and you go, Keith. I don't know why your Labrador's called Keith. Not important. Keith, what have you fucking done? And Keith just looks at you completely blase and he went, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be asked to go outside. You do not shit in the house. And Keith looks at you and goes, well, you shit in the house. All right. And you're, and you're just flabbergasted. You're like, you know what? Oh. Keith goes, yeah, you you fucking shit in the house. You you go to the bathroom, you shit. Why should I be going outside? It's like one rule. It's, it's one rule for you and it's one rule for me, is it? I'm sorry, guys. That might seem like a far-fetched comparison, analogy, metaphor. Call it what you want. But for me, it's just the nature of the beast. Of course, there's one rule for them and there's one rule for us. It just is what it is. And I'm fascinated to know whether you think there's any merit in the argument. Not the shitting in the large argument. Just the, 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 the mechanics of how it works on how government and people work is that there's, they make the rules and we don't. Certainly, we can contribute to who does make the rules, but fundamentally, you know, our powers are non-existent, right? So, this brings me on to the second thing that people have been saying during this new story, which bothers me. And that is, and this is the one that really, really frustrates me, if I'm to be honest with you. That is the argument that it's not fair. It's not fair that he can drive 200 plus miles to Durham and we are forced into lockdown. Now, the problem I have with that isn't necessarily what they're saying because there's a certain degree of truth in that. It's just I don't like the use of the word fair. I've always had a problem with when adults say it's not fair. Again, this is a long-standing irritation of mine. When adults say Anything isn't fair. It really bothers me because I don't know who told them that life is fair. I think often people use the word fair like it's a blanket ideal that is achievable and it just isn't. Fairness isn't a blanket ideal. That's, I mean, you could say it's, you could say it's an ideal, but it's certainly not achievable because it just isn't. As humans, the thing is, as humans, during any life, we will ex- we will reap the rewards of an injustice, and we will be victims of an injustice. Like, let's just imagine we live to 90 years. During those 90 years, we're going to experience unfairness, and we're going to experience unfairness, sorry, we're going to experience unfairness that benefited us, and we're going to experience unfairness that hindered us, limited us, or was to our detriment. Over the course of a lifetime, I would argue that it probably balances itself out, right? I just don't understand why people say things aren't fair almost when it suits them. Let me just give you two classic examples of what I mean about we're both going to experience the injustice and the benefit of unfairness. I think about three months ago, one of my mates runs a call centre, a very successful call centre. I don't even want to know how many hundreds of staff staff employees and... He wanted to redo his website. We were just talking and he said, I don't know if you do you ever do you write copy, CK? Because he knows that you know I'm good at writing anyway. And he said, like, do you write copy? Now I don't write copy officially. Like I'm not trained in copywriting. You could throw a brick in the street and you could probably hit someone who is more trained at the business of copywriting. Because copywriting is a very specific thing. You could probably hit hit someone that's more trained at copywriting than me. But I can write. 
So I said, yeah, I can do it. So I won that job. Now, it was a reasonably well-paying job. But my point is this. If fairness was a blanket ideal, then I wouldn't have got that job. You could argue that a recent graduate that has ploughed three years into copywriting should have got that job, right? You could make that argument, and I would have a certain degree of sympathy with that argument if you did make it, to be honest. I'm not going to be the kind of guy that's going to say, fuck that, you know, nepotism, he's my mate, I'll have it, way. Right? I would have a, I would have sympathy with that argument if you were to believe that fairness is a blanket ideal, then I shouldn't have got that job. Someone else trained should have. So that's me reaping the rewards of an injustice. Now flip that back and let's let's go back two years when this this really annoyed my friend really annoyed well she didn't annoy me actually that's 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 just unnecessary like elaboration she didn't annoy me but I did think it was a bit odd you might be aware of this but in 2018 I auditioned for a US TV series just randomly called what was it called it was called Black Lightning it's a superhero hit TV show. It's like pretty big deal now. And I auditioned to play the main bad guy. And I went down to London. Well, I was I was, in, I was living in London at the time, actually. And I, and I went to the casting director. She knew full well I had no acting experience, but it was just via a random encounter on Twitter. I emailed her. She said, yeah, come in for an audition. I went in for audition, not expecting a great deal other than a fun experience and did my audition. Pissed off. Phone rings about three days later. He said, oh, CK, like we sent your audition to the producers in America and I really liked it and I want you to come in again, redo it, but this time with a few notes and a few adjustments to your or, or, or audition. So I went back and I did the, I did the audition. But by this point, I was thinking, Jesus, I wasn't expecting that. And, and in their defence, the casting directors in London, they said... None of us in the office thought that your audition was going to necessarily pique their interest. Not because it wasn't great, but because we know that you're not, you're not an actor. So we didn't really expect anything of it other than, you know, you, you throw your hat in the ring. So now the fact they've asked you to come back in, we're all behind you. We can't believe it's got this far. We all, we're all on Team CK. So this was just really nice. You know, they gave me a little lift in the old confidence, did, did the thing, sent it off. Now, long story short, the part did not come to one CK Golding. The part went to a guy called Crondon, who's a rapper in America, and he's mates with Snoop. So I was talking about this to my friends, and one of my mates, Rach, bless her, love her to bit, she was furious. <laughs> she was absolutely fucking furious. And I was, I was like, Rach, what's wrong? And she went, it's outrageous that you've got the role. It's outrageous you didn't get the role. Why is it outrageous? Why has he got it? The only reason he's got that role is because he knows Snoop and he's got a massive audience and the TV producers want just want to tap into that audience so they can get bums on seats and people can watch the show. It's an outrage. They should be giving it to up and coming talent. And I was just sat there thinking, but they shouldn't though, shouldn't they? <laughs> like I was I was just thinking to myself there was a couple of things rushing through my mind first of all at this point I didn't know what this guy was like he could be a great actor so, but Rachel didn't know either so I don't even know why she was getting worked up but if we just put that aside and just think they've given it to someone to tap into their audience I'm like well that seems to make common sense to me and if I was the head of that studio I can't say honestly hand on heart that I wouldn't adopt the same strategy listen life sucks but their, their interests 
as senior producers, heads of the studio, whatever. Their interest isn't in fairness, isn't in bringing up, bringing through new talent, you could argue. It's in shareholders. It's in not getting cancelled because you've got shit people in your programme. It's about seeing season two happen because people enjoy the programme and they might not if you've got some guy that can't act. I don't know. All I'm saying is, according to my mate Rachel, it wasn't fair. And I was like, well, I'm not that sure that life is meant to be fair. So that was me, according to some measurements, being victimised by lack of fairness. That's how some people might look at that, but I don't look at it like that. And it turns out that the guy that got the part, he's my new hero because he's a great actor. But even if he was a shit actor and I was better, I wouldn't have sour grapes because he's bringing the audience and I'm not. So I don't think in that instance, fairness has a role to play. So back to you. Now I've offered you that situation. Do you, how do you think fairness sits in that? Let's imagine he was a shit. Okay, let's imagine he was shit in the role. I was better, but he had a bigger audience. Like, would that be fair? I don't know. What was Rachel getting so wound up about? I mean, I love the fact she was getting wound up, but that's just who she is as a human. She's always got a mate's back. But in that instance, I was like, chill. <laughs> Rach, just chill. So it's always bothered me when people talk about fairness. And I've said this about a million times now, but I just don't know who began this who began this belief that fairness is attainable or ideal? I mean, do you think fairness is ideal? Not only do you think it's ideal, but you think it's achievable when you live in a capitalistic... When you live in a capitalistic society, is it even possible? Is fairness even possible amid communism, really, to be fair? I just... I just don't think fairness is achievable but here's the thing there's nuances to this though because if you said to me well is it fair that people haven't been able to see their dying relatives during COVID-19 because they haven't been able to see them they haven't been able to be in close proximity of them in fear of spreading the disease further that's happened in waves hundreds of people maybe thousands haven't seen their loved ones as they've died so is it fair that they can't see their loved ones, but this guy can travel 200 miles to Durham? My answer to that, absolutely not. And I feel that's a little bit sickening, to be honest with you, that that's happened. But this is my point. Depending on what you're asking me, my interpretation of fairness changes. So it absolutely is not fair that people haven't been able to see their loved ones and he can drive up to Durham. But take the loved ones out of the equation and just say he's driven to Durham. I haven't, he's driven to Durham, but I haven't been able to see my mate, for example. Is that fair? I'm like, I don't really care. Given that particular scenario, I don't give a flying fuck. So this is my point. Fairness, I just don't think it should be used as some kind of blanket ideal. There's always going to be nuances within the parameters of fairness. And I just wish people would be more aware of that when they're saying things like it's not fair. What's not fair? That's always my response. What isn't fair? Don't just say it's not fair. What isn't? Right? Whew. Let's have a look what I got written down here. I'll just make a show. <laughs> well, I don't know where that came from. Is that the first time I've discussed politics on this podcast? I think it might be, actually. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think it is. So, send me a direct message with your thoughts on fairness, please. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Search CK Golding. That's G-O-L-D-I-N-G. Okay, so I received a comment on YouTube this week, and it was not a positive one by any stretch of imagination. I'm going to be brutally honest with you. When I read this, I was like, oh, God, it really, it stung a bit. But, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not T-1000. I'm not robotic. There's not an endoskeleton underneath here, much I'd like to think there is. So here's what it read. Who's who's left this comment? Someone called Charlotte Ball, who hasn't uploaded any videos to YouTube, so it's one of those people that comments and doesn't create, which is fine. So, apologies for my cynicism regarding this video. And remember, guys, this is regarding my January documentary, Waiting with a Killer, which you can watch on YouTube. Apologies for my cynicism regarding this video. And I'm sure CK believes that his intentions are entirely honourable. However... This post is one of two things, both exploitative. The first being an issue of what's deemed consent. Clearly this man has mental health issues and a drug problem. The second is being used for CK's publicity in order to increase awareness and views relating to his cause and documentary films. I don't really understand what that means. Given the footage showing how many people watched his debut, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. Again, I don't know what that means. Also, he hasn't been invited to San Diego. All the expenses paid because he's having to pay for his flights and accommodation himself whilst broke. To then sell it as a true life or crime film is abhorrent, if that's the case. Just like every journalist has to do, he should fact-check prior to publishing, i.e. researching the man's claims. As I've said already, his motivations may honourable, but not on this one. I mean, this, look, I don't want to sit here and start picking at the grammatical anomalies in this rant, because I just tie myself in knots. But the only point that's relevant here... Well, there's two. First, she doesn't like the documentary. <laughs> we can assume that. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But the suggestion of checking out his claims, I mean, this is a really difficult one because I was thinking about this, but the guy didn't reference any names, so I didn't even know who he's talking about. But I wonder if there's an argument for saying, like, I don't know if in America he's big news. I doubt it. I don't know what I was to research because I wasn't, keen to find out who he was talking about. I just wanted to share his story in the same way that all my content, when I encounter random people on the street, I don't delve into their stories. I just ask them where they are at any given time. And they talk to me of every, I mean, I've spoken to homeless people. I've spoken to students. I've spoken to people whose parents are real that I've just met on the street and we talk. And retrospectively, there's maybe an argument for saying that Matthew in this documentary, his story was, of a nature that might have warranted research, but I didn't look at it like that. He was just another random dude telling me stuff. So it gave me pause when she wrote that about research, but my point here is actually nothing to do with anything about what she said. As I mentioned at the top of this podcast, it instantly got me thinking because it was a bit of a sting. It wasn't nice. It wasn't great. And then I started thinking, well, you're not feeling great about this. What about that? video you posted on Instagram 
in February about that film Queen and Slim. I don't know how long you've been following me, but if you go onto my Instagram feed and search back to February the 4th, I've never done this before, but I went to see a film called Queen and Slim and I, I kind of had huge issues with it. So as I left the cinema, I just, for some reason, got my phone out, pressed record and I just filmed my thoughts and they were quite abrasive. Like there were parts of the film that really bothered me. And if you want to watch the video, you can go on to my Instagram. It's still there. February the 4th. And I was just kind of articulating why it didn't do it for me. And I think I used words like it felt a little bit immature. And I mentioned this in one of the earlier episodes of my podcast as well. And I just thought to myself, should I post this? Because this director is very well established. You know, she's done well for herself. So who are you to be picking at her stuff? But I just felt... It was my opinion. I wasn't doing it to be salacious. I wasn't doing it to be provocative. I wasn't doing it to get a response. I just wanted to share my thoughts. And fundamentally, that's all this Charlotte person is doing. But I was saying to myself, yeah, you shouldn't have posted that in February. If you, if this is how you feel with her response, imagine how that filmmaker might felt if she saw this. Because I hashtagged it up with the name of the film, put the name of the film underneath the video. And so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that she would have seen that video. So it just got me thinking about the larger issue of... I've been thinking about this a lot this week. I'm a creator now, right? I put stuff into the public domain. And when people aren't keen, I'm fine with that. Because I think everybody has a right to not be keen about anything. I've said this so many times. I don't like everything. So the ex expecting people to like everything I have to do is just a height of arrogance. And I really hate when people say, what's this, this person who posted underneath my video? She's called Charlotte. I hate when people say things like some dickhead called Charlotte just posted this like why is she dickhead because she doesn't like your thing that doesn't make her a dickhead that just makes her someone that doesn't like your thing that's the start and end of it it's really annoying when people have you noticed that a lot of things annoy me about people <laughs> Jesus Christ it's, it's remarkable I make some of the content I do actually because it generally celebrates people but there is a side of humans that piss me off I'd, I'd be remiss not to state that from the from the bat, there is just a part of humans that really pisses me off. And when people get angry at people for having an opinion about their own stuff, that really frustrates me. So I was thinking, moving forward, this was a genuine thought I had this week. Moving forward, should I just keep my thoughts to myself about other artists and other creators making stuff? Should I just keep my thoughts to myself, not put it in the public domain because there's a chance that they might see, hear, or read that. And that response you had when you saw that comment about you is just going to be transferred to them. And as I don't want that. I don't want anybody to feel how I felt when I read that, even if I don't like their stuff. I don't want them to feel bad about me not liking it. So I was thinking, should I, moving forward, just not publish? And I think that's a very... I think... I don't know what the answer is yet, but I'm hoping it's not going to be... Yeah, just, just keep it to yourself and not publish it. I don't know. There's something about that that doesn't sit right with me. And I just I just feel that there's more to lose than to gain if we almost seek a world where we protect ourselves from... We protect ourselves from less than favourable feedback on our stuff. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, would I want a world where I would never, from now until death, see 
someone not liking my stuff and commenting about why they don't like it. Would I want a world where I don't see that anymore? That's what I'm saying. And I don't. I don't because sometimes there's merit to what people say. Sometimes it's going to assist my growth as a writer, as a creator, as a producer. And it's going to make me question. It's going to challenge me. It's going to make me think. So if I don't want that for me, it's not It's not so much a case of me saying I don't want that for anybody else because it's not for me to say. There are probably some artists out there who would happily and blissfully skate through life not seeing any negative comments about their stuff and power to them. But because I don't want that for me, I think it's my duty to tell other artists when I think something they've put out is shit. It is my duty to make them better and try harder. <laughs> oh, sanctimonious said that sound. It's my duty to make you try harder. I mean, if nothing I've said in this podcast about not believing fairness is ideal or about not believing the government are there to help us or getting annoyed at adults who think fair is ideal. If none of that stuff made you think I'm a giant bell and me saying I'm here to make the world try harder definitely will. <laughs> All thoughts welcome. Let's hang out again next week. <laughs>